So Jill was referring to the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. Some of you might remember them, some of you might not remember them, but it was uh, one of those rubber band bracelet things that you stuck around your wrist and it was WWJD on there. So um, one of my friends, one of our friends was the manager of a, a very large Christian bookstore in Melbourne in Australia and of course they would do their stock take annually and the two items that were most stolen from the Christian bookstore were the What Would Jesus Do bracelets, <laughs> seriously, and Bibles. <laughs> so, okay, there you go. I don't think Jesus would steal What Would Jesus Do bracelets. I don't think so. I don't think so. And he probably wouldn't steal Bibles either, but anyway. I have a couple of thoughts in my head, and rather than um, pretend that those thoughts kind of just naturally coalesce nicely, I'll just say up front, there are two thoughts that I want to share from, to you, and they're from quite distinct passages of the Bible. Um, and they come to you by way of exhortation. So you don't know what an exhortation is, because it's a bit of a strange word. It's like a strong encouragement. And I want to encourage you with a couple of very strong thoughts from God's Word, the Bible. I think I mentioned one of these thoughts a few weeks back, but just in passing, and I feel like I need to underline it again for the sake of encouraging you and encouraging you where you are at at this moment in time. I think we need to do, you know, speaking of stock taking, I think we need to do a little bit of stock taking ourselves. And we need to understand that we are living in a very strange time in history. Have you picked up on that? <laughs> if you haven't picked up on that, or if you haven't thought that through it, and, you know, Jill helped us to reflect on some of the elements associated with that, you are living in a period of history that will be written about in and talked about in hundreds and hundreds of years still. And there will be effects of what is going on now that actually last for hundreds of years as well. And in every field of academia, people will be writing about what is happening at this moment in time. Uh, we are all living in something that we cannot understand the full significance of it as we live through it at the moment. We're living with the day-to-day -day frustrations of this. We are living with the uh, sadness of this as people pass away. We are living with the uncertainties around decision-making, some of the simplest things that we would ordinarily do without giving any thought to them. We can't do them at the moment, right? There's just all sorts of stuff that has been interrupted or, or curtailed or, or the circumstances become so different and, and so challenging because of the particular season that we are in. So please, whichever season of life that you are in, it's important that you 
take in what is going on around you because what is going on around you, it's affecting your emotions, it's affecting your decision-making, it's affecting your relationship with God, it's affecting your relationship with others. We can't just sail through the seasons of life without understanding or giving thought to how they are impacting us. And this is a season that is profoundly impacting us mentally, socially, uh, from a health perspective, emotionally we're being impacted by this time. Economically there's an incredibly significant impact. Do not underestimate the significance of the time that you are going through at the moment and some of the feelings that you have, some of the decisions that you have made or that you want to make, uh, some of the, the dreams that you have that you feel they're on hold, some of the frustrations and the emotional turmoil that you feel, it's all being heightened, it's being um, exacerbated, it's being magnified by this season of life, this strange season of life that we are all walking through. Do you get what I'm saying there? It's really important that the things that you're feeling at the moment, that you run them through the filter of the season of life that we're all going through together. If you don't do that, you, you wonder sometimes, why the heck am I feeling this way? Um, why am I wanting to make this, this rash or the, this stupid decision? Why am I... Why am I crying unnecessarily? Why am I getting angry unnecessarily? Why am I feeling afraid? And I could mention more emotions as well. All of that is coming out of this weird season or it's being magnified by this weird season. So let me get into my first thought here. And I'm reading from... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, but I'm going to focus mostly on verses 12 and 13. This is what Paul says. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. So he's talking about the, the nation of Israel and he's talking about the things that they went through that were recorded for them in what we today call the Old Testament. So the historical records of his people, that's what Paul is directing their minds toward. So immediately they would have started thinking of stories from what we call the Old Testament. He says, I don't want you to forget this stuff. He says, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. So Paul is highlighting there for them that they had a common experience. They have a common history they all had God with them at that time. They all had God supplying for them at that time. There was a shared experience that all of the children of Israel went through together. Then it changes up a little bit. And Paul says, yet God was not pleased with most of them. 
and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Well, that's a bit dramatic. <laughs> What's going on there? So, God's people, the Israelites, they were in Egypt, and God, they were slaves in Egypt, and God wanted to take them out of Egypt and take them to a different place, a place that is commonly called the, the promised land, which is the Palestinian region, what we call Palestine now. Well, actually, no, I'm not talking about the political entity Palestine, I'm talking about that massive land there, which was a massive land before it was a political entity. So, that is what uh, Paul is referring to there. So they had a promise that God was going to take them somewhere else, but instead of that journey taking them a couple of weeks, that journey took them 40 years, right? It was, it was a journey that took generations, in fact, and it's a tragic story of how instead of all of them coming into the land that God had promised to, the many of them actually died along the way. So, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, they indulged in pagan revelry and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. That's a bad day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. What is the purpose of the first part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament? Well, there's a big answer that is necessary there, but let me give you a short answer. Everything that is in that first part of the Bible actually points toward Jesus. And the only way that we make sense of that first part of the Bible is actually by looking back through the cross and understanding it in light of who Jesus is. That's how we make sense of it. So there's a, there's a big picture element of why we have this first part of the Bible. It is teaching us about God's plan to save through Jesus. But we learn here that there's actually something very specific going on as well. We have these stories, Paul tells us, so that we can learn from them. Why do we have the story of Noah and the ark? Why do we have the story of Joseph and his brothers? Why do we have the story of Samson? Why do we have the story of Moses? And I could go on and on and on and on. Why do we have these stories? They are given to us to help us live the kind of lives that God wants us to live. 
There are lessons to be learned. There's truth to be gleaned. There's help for us and hope for us in these stories. We don't have to make some of the same mistakes because we can look at these Bible characters and say, oh my goodness, I don't want to be dumb like that. Oh my goodness, I don't want to make those same mistakes. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul says, hey, you don't have to make some of the same mistakes here. Have a look at these stories and learn from these stories. Grow through them. As I've said a number of times, and I'm sure others have said, um, on behalf of Glasshouse Church, if you're following Jesus, live the kind of life that Jesus encourages you to live, right? Yes? If you're a disciple of Jesus, live like a disciple. A disciple is a follower, a, a learner. Right? If you call Jesus Lord, which means like master or, or, or boss in, in the vernacular, then actually act like he's your boss. Fine. If you're not following Jesus, do what you want to do. Do, do what you want to do seriously. That's your business. That's your choice. Now, in my opinion, there, there are consequences of that, but it's still your choice. It's your choice. But if you're here and you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, then have a look at these kind of stories that Paul outlines for us and learn from them. Don't fall into the same traps that some of these people in, in the first part of the Bible fell into because we're given examples so we don't do dumb stuff. So, there's another warning that comes in here. This one's a little more subtle. This one perhaps needs a little bit more unpacking. And Paul says, hey, if you think you're going really well or you know you're going really well, don't become complacent or proud because you can still stumble. And that's a really good lesson. How could I illustrate that? Imagine you're at school, you've got exams coming up, English is your best subject, and you say to yourself, you know what, I'm so darn good at English, I'm not going to study for the exams because I know what I'm doing. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to do incredibly well. Bad mistake, right? Even if it's your best subject, even if you're pretty confident that you're going to do well, you would still study, right? because you would give yourself the best chance of success. You wouldn't compromise your opportunity for succeeding even though it was your best subject, yeah? That's what you would do. And Paul is saying here, even in the areas of life where you are doing well or, or you, you're pretty confident that you're doing well, don't get overconfident, don't get cocky, don't become complacent because even your area of strength can be an area in which you stumble and fall and which harm comes to you. We're in an odd time, like I said. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, there's a warning not to do dumb stuff, but I can't bear this any longer. I am fed up. I've had enough. 
I can't bear the lockdown. I can't bear the pressure at work. I can't bear the pressure of not having work. I can't bear the isolation. I can't bear the, the lack of human touch and physical contact and interaction. I can't bear the pressures that are building in my relationship world, in my family, in my marriage. I can't bear them anymore. I'm feeling stretched. I'm feeling tested. I'm feeling tempted beyond what I'm able to deal with. And then... Paul says these incredible, incredible words. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Hang on a second. This, this, I, I'm going through this alone. No one else can understand me. No one else has had it as bad as me. You might feel that way, but it's not true. Yes, no one has walked exactly in your shoes yet, totally, totally. But does that mean that there aren't other people who have been through similar things? Does that not mean that there are perhaps other people who have even had it worse than you? The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I can't stand this anymore. I've had enough. This is getting to me. That's getting to me. This isn't working. That isn't working. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yep. Absolutely. It's very frustrating. It's very testing. You are being stretched, but you can get through it. You can get through it and you will get through it. But no one understands. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You're not alone in your struggle. Others have been through this and are going through it. God is with you and he is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. No, 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 that, that's, not, that's not true. I was so tempted the other day with whatever it was and I just had to do it. No, you didn't. You felt like you had to do it, but no, you didn't have to do it. Sorry, that sounds a bit unfair, doesn't it? Just because it sounds unfair doesn't mean that it's not true. <laughs> Nobody can force you to do anything, to react in a certain way, to not react in a way that perhaps you should. No one forced your hand to do whatever it was that you did, to write whatever it was you wrote, to look at whatever it was you looked at, to make that choice. You might have felt backed into a corner, but at the end of the day, it was still your decision. And there is a way through this for you. There's a way through this for you. And you can endure and you can make it through the other side. But it doesn't feel like that yet. Probably doesn't. Probably doesn't if you felt like it was a breeze or felt like you were just sailing through or going to get through easily. 
then we wouldn't have discussions like this, would we? And Paul wouldn't need to write the stuff that he writes. But because we feel a certain way, that doesn't mean that our feelings are an accurate description of what the truth is. And our feelings certainly don't mean that God isn't with us. My next thought, and I'll make some sort of a segue between the two thoughts. One of the great tests or temptations at this time is the temptation or the test of fear. I have to be honest with you, I am concerned at the levels of fear that I see in people and that I see around us at the moment. I'm concerned by that. Does anyone else share my concern? Have you noticed how afraid people are at the moment? Have you noticed the strange reactions that you get from people at the moment? The, the, um, the sharp responses from people as, as fear grips them in light of what's going on, whether it's fear of the disease, whether it's fear that comes from uh, financial pressures, whether it's, it's fear that comes from that sense of lack of control. Our society, and not just British society, societies all across Europe and all around the world are gripped by fear at the moment. And, and I'm not having a go at the uh, lawmakers here or the politicians. Man, God, God, help them at the moment, right? I'm, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad it's not me or all of the decisions that are being made, good decisions, probably not. Are some of the decisions being made good decisions? They probably are, right? God help them to, to make good decisions, but whether the decisions are good or bad, the byproduct of the decision-making is fear. People are incredibly afraid. I was on a call the other day with a, um, with a pastor from Australia. It's actually one of the churches that supports us. It's a pretty small church. It's about 35,000 people. So, uh, yeah, quite a small church. And they have a number of locations around the city of Perth on the west coast of Australia. And some of the discussion on the call centred around people's responses to churches opening back up again. And the city of Perth is about two million people, just over two million people. And this pastor on the other end of the call said, I cannot believe it. He said, some people are still not coming back to gatherings, like face-to-face -face gatherings like we're doing now. And he said, in Perth, there has not been one case of community transmission of the virus in six months. And people are afraid to come along to meet face-to-face. -face. That is irrational right? That is an irrational fear. That is unnecessary. And he, he's not just thinking of one person who's not coming along. He's, he's probably in his church environment, he's probably thinking of hundreds and hundreds of people who he has heard aren't coming because they are afraid to gather in a city where there hasn't been one case of community transmission in six months. 
around Southport, it's bizarre sometimes. There'll be somebody walking, that they're coming down the same way as, as you or you surprise someone and you're a couple of metres from them or a metre and a half and they, they'll step back and they'll, they'll be angry and shocked at you. It's like, give me a break. I wasn't going to come up to you and give you a big kiss on the lips or something. I was, I was just walking past you. Like the chance of you getting something from me is probably one in 10 billion or something. But hey, if it makes you feel better to get all angry and recoil and step back. I mean, the other day I was going to be, I was walking towards someone and they started walking on the road and a car actually had to stop. Can you imagine telling that story? Oh, yeah, my grandpa died. Oh, was it coronavirus? Oh, no, I actually stepped in front of a car to avoid someone who, where there was a one in 10 billion chance of him giving him coronavirus. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Fear, right? Fear. People are gripped by fear. What does fear do to us? It robs us of our destiny, big picture. It robs us of our peace of mind if we're to drill down further and think of day to day. It robs us of our faith in God and our trust in others. Fear cripples and paralyzes people. It paralyzes them from making the decisions that they need to make even. When I was a little kid, there used to be a um, monster that lived in my cupboard. Or so I thought. Did anybody else used to have something that lived in a cupboard or something that, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, something that, I don't know, maybe lived under the bed or... It lived somewhere. And if I forgot to close my um, cupboard... Uh, the night before I went to sleep, there's far greater chance that the monster would be there in the morning, right? If the cupboard was closed, there was a very, very, very high likelihood that the monster wasn't there, yeah? So I'd wake up in the morning, I'd probably notice out of the corner of my eye that the cupboard was opening, I would hear something there and seriously, I would lie so still on my bed, I could hear my heart beating. You know that feeling when you try and be so quiet and the rest of the house is quiet, you can hear your heart beating. And, and whether you're busting to go to the toilet or just busting to get up and start playing or whatever, you lie there dead still because you know if the monster knows that you're awake, well, I don't know what the monster was going to do, right? Because it actually didn't exist, yeah? Um, and I would lie so still and I was so afraid. And I am serious now. Like, in, in my little kid's mind, I was so afraid, I was terrified. Understand what I'm talking about there? When you're a little kid, you know, there's these false realities, but you're so afraid. And eventually, I would pluck up the courage to throw my um, sheets back and run into my parents' room, right? Because 
everyone knows monsters can't run very fast. They certainly can't outrun five-year-olds, that's for sure. And I'd go into my parents' room. Dad would come in with me, do a cursory inspection of the cupboard. Surprise, surprise, the monster was never there. Those tricky monsters, they know when... They know when to hide, don't they? They know when an adult comes into the room. They're still somewhere. But that, that paralyzing fear is what I want you to think about. That paralyzing fear. And I'm talking about a story from my childhood, but that same paralyzing fear grips adults. It manifests itself in different ways. Even as adults, we can be gripped by that kind of fear. Let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 and verse 12. This is Paul speaking again. He says to Timothy, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. So Timothy's gifts that were imparted to him by God as Paul laid his hands on him, Paul is worried that those gifts, that he's likening them to a fire, that the fire is going to go down. This is what Paul says, and this is a verse I want us to grab. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though, um, those, even though I'm in, pr- in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And I've got another couple of verses there, but I won't read them. Back to the main verse there that I want to highlight with you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind or self-control or self-discipline, as some translations say. Did you hear me? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit who has been given to us by God, he is not a spirit or the spirit who gives fear to us, but he gives to us rather love, power and a sound mind. And the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. See, Timothy is in danger of losing heart because of fear and timidity. It would seem, if you read about Timothy, that his weakness was fearfulness. Fearfulness was his weakness. But Paul reminds him not to give up on the plan that God has for him, to keep going, because God, the God who called him, is also God who gives to him love and power and soundness of mind. I am living about 10,000 miles away 
from my home city. <laughs> right? I am here on the other side of the world for a very specific reason and you better believe I am not going to let fear stop me from doing what God has asked me to do. And so it is, as soon as it was legal for me to start travelling again and start going into the countries where I go to help to train leaders who plant churches, I was there. And I will continue to do that and I will continue to respect all of the rules and the laws uh, that, that help us to be a safer society. I have no problem with that. I'm not some idiot conspiracy theorist who thinks that the virus is completely fake or something. Grow a brain, seriously. There's an issue and it's a serious issue, but within the context of all that is going on, Look, I better pause there. To all conspiracy theorists, that was probably very tough, what I just said to you. But seriously, come on. Seriously. Within the context of everything that is going on, I'm getting on with it. I'm going for it, guys. I'm going for it. I am not going to be stopped by fear. I am going to push myself. I'm going to stretch the boundaries. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do because I know that God is with me and God has given me a spirit of power and love and self-control or sound mind. I'm going for it. It's interesting watching one of the government's press conferences the other day. Um, be careful what I say. Yeah, politicians have an incredibly difficult time and in laying out facts and information for us, the net result of that sometimes can be that fear is induced, right? That that's not their intent. We don't have, uh, you know, wicked politicians trying to make us all uh, cower in a corner somewhere or something like that. That's, that's not their intent. I don't believe that. But when we listen to this stuff, it's easy to become afraid, right? Yep, it's easy to become afraid when we're hearing all of the data, when we're hearing all of this information, when we're watching what's going on around the world, when we're hearing the death figures, the, the cases... Uh, escalating in certain places. And so it was, um, Prime Minister Johnson was there and the Chief Scientific Officer and the Chief Medical Officer and they're outlining all of this data, all the graphs are going up there and it's like, oh my goodness, this is flipping terrible. Well, interestingly, the next day, the... See, the Chancellor, I'm still getting used to terminology, Rishi Sunak, is he the... Chancellor is the Chancellor of the Exchequer, right? Yeah, yeah? Thumbs up if I'm speaking the right terminology. He made this statement. He said, we must learn to live without fear. It's like, whoa, whoa, that, that's a pretty good statement in light of everything else we're hearing. He said, we must learn to live without fear. And he's an advocate for us getting on with it. He's an advocate, of course, for all of the measures to minimise the chance of transmission and death, etc. But he's saying, come on, we have to learn to live without fear. 
This season can easily create fear and we have to push beyond that fear because our God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love and power and soundness of mind, right? So we speak to that fear, we address that fear and we say, okay, this is the reality, but that's not going to be my reality. I'm going to trust God, I'm going to keep moving forward, I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me, I'm going to make the most of life, I'm going to love people, I'm going to care for people, I'm, I'm still going to try and live a big life, I'm not going to be contained I'm going to sing, I'm going to make music, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to... We're going to get on with life, right? We're going to get on with life because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but love and power and soundness of mind. So God is with you during this time and there is a way through whatever your specific circumstances are. God is with you and you will get through. And I want to encourage you, don't live with fear. Don't live with fear. Don't deny the reality of what's going on, but that doesn't... Accepting the reality of what's going on does not mean that you have to live with fear because our God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But love, power, and soundness of mind. Generally speaking, I don't just say stuff for the sake of saying stuff. I do my best to say stuff that I think will be helpful or say stuff that I think God thinks is important for us as Glasshouse Church. And I think this stuff is important. And I think some of you need to hear that. And I think some of you need to know that you can go through this time. You can go through the tests and the temptations and struggles of this time. You can go through it. You can go through it. And some of you need to be reminded not to let yourself live in fear because fear will stop you from living the kind of life that God wants you to live and fear will stop you from loving people in the way God wants you to love them. Don't live with fear. Don't accept that position 